0: Gospel of John chapter 15, we'll be looking at verse 1, John 15, verse 1, and considering the substance of the covenant, John 15, 1. give attention to God's holy word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the covenant of grace by which we are saved, in which you unfold and expound to us through the Holy Scriptures. We pray, Lord, that you would help us now as we look at this passage on this lords day afternoon to understand more and more of the substance of the covenant of grace and we pray all of this for jesus sake amen well this passage is probably one of the most well-known passages to you this one verse out of all of john's gospel this is one of the highlight verses in the entire gospel of john and because John's style is so very simple and so very direct in many of the things that he teaches, it can be easy to miss the depth and the, uh, the, the substance that John is actually communicating to us. This verse, uh, where John uses this famous metaphor that Christ says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, gives us a picture of the thing that Israel was hoping for throughout all of their history. But in order to really appreciate the the substance of what this verse is teaching us, we have to understand something about God's covenant. We have to keep in mind what it is that God is giving to us in the gospel, you know that when Adam was formed, he was made in knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. God made man upright. And when God had made Adam, he made a covenant of works with him, promising him eternal life if he would keep the terms of that covenant. You see, for God to promise anything to us is an act of pure grace. God is the creator. And we are the creature. God is the sovereign, eternal, unchangeable, all-knowing, all-powerful God. And we are but, as Isaiah says, grasshoppers in his sight. God is so far above you and I. He was so far above even Adam in the state of innocence that Adam could have no hope of eternal life unless God made a gracious promise to him. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not saying the covenant of works is the same as the covenant of grace. There's a very big difference between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. What I am saying is that the promise, the, the act of making a covenant was a gracious act on God's part. That's where the covenant of works and the covenant of grace are the same. Where they are different, however, is in the substance. Now, what do we mean by the substance of the covenant? The substance of the covenant is the thing that wins the reward. The substance of the covenant is the thing that God blesses with his promises. In the covenant of works, the substance was man's obedience. Adam had to work to obtain the reward of eternal life. That was the covenant of works. The substance of that covenant was Adam's own obedience. The substance of the covenant of grace, however, is far different and far more glorious and far more eternal and far more lasting and far more powerful than Adam's obedience ever could have been. The substance of the covenant of grace, the thing that actually accomplishes the goal, the thing that God rewards, the thing upon whom all the blessings are poured, is Christ Himself. Christ Himself is the substance of the covenant of grace. He is the essence of the covenant, and He is, as Paul will say in other places, the gospel. You remember in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says that Christ is preached. What Paul is saying there is that when the gospel is preached, it is a proclamation of Christ himself. And what we see in this passage is that Christ now describes himself as that substance of the covenant, he is the thing that God will reward. But it also says a little something else here. You understand that in God's covenant, we need not only to be restored, but we need to grow. You can think about it this way. Springtime is around the corner. And perhaps some of you will start planting gardens. Perhaps some of you with your money will go to the nursery and pay the redemption price for that tomato plant and liberate that tomato plant from the nursery and then plant that plant in your garden. You see, Christ liberates us from bondage to sin, but then he also plants us in the garden of the Lord. Well, what is supposed to happen after that? We want it to grow and produce fruit. Christ as the substance is not only your righteousness in God's sight. He's not only holiness in God's sight. He's also the life by which you live. And that's the point of this passage here. Christ as the substance of the covenant of grace is the life by which we live. Now, there's a lot that we could unpack here. I only want to look at... uh, two or three things in this passage. If you want a summary of this verse, in the covenant of grace, Christ himself is the substance and the Father himself is the administrator. Christ himself is the substance. The Father himself is the administrator. And we're going to look at three things that help us understand the the glory of this verse. First, I've already gone into a little bit of it, is the covenant of grace. Secondly, Christ the vine. And then thirdly, the Father, the vine dresser. The covenant of grace, Christ the vine, and the Father, the vine dresser. So as we begin considering this passage a little more deeply, it's helpful to keep in mind how our confession summarizes the covenant. If you want to follow along, this is chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, paragraphs 5 and 6. I won't read them in detail, but you can be looking at it as I kind of summarize our confession's doctrine about the covenant of grace. And the key thing in the doctrine of the covenant of grace is that there are two parts, so to speak. There is an outward administration and an inner substance. There's there's an outward way that the covenant of grace comes to us. It comes to us in a certain form. But those outward forms are pointing us to an inner saving reality. In the Old Covenant, as you know, the covenant was administered through the tabernacle, the Passover lamb, the altar of burnt offering, the Aaronic priesthood, circumcision, all the signs and all the ceremonies of the Old Covenant. That was an outward administration. But it was pointing to an inner saving substance. All of those things were pointing... To Christ. But now in the New Covenant, we have a different outward administration. But it is still outward. In the New Covenant, as the confession summarizes for us, paragraph 6 under the Gospel, when Christ, the substance, was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant is dispensed. Are the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, uh, a baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And so, even in the new covenant, we still have an outward administration. We have the preaching of the word, and as we partook this morning, the administration of the sacraments. But here's the thing to keep in mind, brothers and sisters. I realize it's Sunday afternoon, and Perhaps we had one too many cookies. We need to recognize that even though in the new covenant we have a very simple sacrament, we have a very simple uh, worship style, all of these things are still external and outward, which means you, just as much as the Jew need to have the internal saving substance. We still internally need to be united to the one who actually saves. We need to be united to the one whom God actually rewards. You can think about it this way. In the covenant, God sets His standard and makes promises to those standards. Essentially this. Be holy. For I am holy, and I will reward you if you are holy. Christ is the only one who can meet that standard. Christ is the only one who's perfectly righteous. Christ is the only one who could defeat death and ascend into heaven. Christ is the only one. And so all of God's promises are poured out on Christ. And then it's through union with Christ that you receive those blessings. You don't receive them outside of Christ. You don't receive them outside of the substance of the covenant. You don't receive them because your body was washed with water if you don't have the answer of a good conscience. You don't receive them because you ate the bread and drank the wine unless you by faith partook of the flesh and the blood. You don't receive these blessings because you're here listening to the voice of a preacher. You receive these blessings because the Spirit of God works in your heart so that you hear the voice of the Son of God, who is the substance of the covenant. And so this is how the covenant of grace is administered. One one more practical, just little guide here. Um, We can be in danger of the same sin that the Jews were in danger of that in many instances the Jews were guilty of. You remember as you read the Gospels, Christ argues with the Pharisees constantly. And what do the Pharisees say? We are sons of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. We are free sons of the covenant. We're circumcised. We go to the temple. What are they doing? They're boasting in the outward administration. They're boasting in all of the outward elements of the covenant. And Christ is telling them, If you were really sons of Abraham, you would lay hold of the inner saving substance. Just like Abraham did. You would believe in me. So we need to be careful of this. In in our walk with Christ, we compare ourselves with others, we look at others who are walking this life. It's easy to think, because I have all these outward benefits, that I am saved. And we may not have any inward benefits real union with Christ. Well, what does this substance look like? How is this substance described for us? Christ describes himself under our second point here as the vine. Notice that he says, I am the true vine. This is, uh, there, there's two things that are going on here. One, this fulfills one of the major types of the Old Testament. For Christ to make this claim, he's fulfilling one of the major themes of the Old Testament. I won't point you to all the passages, but I'll just list them off for you. You can look them up later. Uh, Psalm 80 is one of the key psalms that speak about Israel as a vine. Isaiah chapter 5 speaks about Israel as a vine. Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 17. All of these passages speak about God. Delivering a vine from Egypt and planting it in the promised land and then God looking for his vine to produce the fruit well what Christ is claiming here is that I am the true vine I am the real substance of the covenant I am true Israel not only does it fulfill all these Old Testament types it also signifies something very important for us One is that Christ is the source of life. You know where the passage is going to go in in John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. The, The point here is that Christ is the source of our spiritual life. Not only for justification, not only to be declared righteous in God's sight, but also for how we live each and every day. It is he alone who causes us to walk the walk that we are supposed to walk. He is the substance of the covenant of grace. Secondly, he's not only the source of life, he's also the pattern of life. He is the source where we get the sap, so to speak, but he's also the pattern. I don't know if any of you have uh, uh, gotten into grafting meaning grafting fruit trees, branches onto rootstock, and things like that. I never have, so if you have, please forgive me if I mess up this metaphor a little bit. But what is uh, common to grafting is you need a certain kind of rootstock for your environment. The reason you want that good rootstock is because usually that determines how strong your plant is going to be. If the rootstock is weak or it's not adapted to your climate or your soil it's not going to work the rootstock determines how strong the plant will be now if you want different kinds of fruit you get different kinds of fruit stock and graft it onto the rootstock if christ is the vine what he's saying is that he's the root stock of the covenant his strength and his life sets the pattern for what your life is going to look like It sets the pattern for what obedience to the covenant looks like. He is the true vine. We're going to make some more applications to this when we get a little further on in our passage. The second thing to notice in this passage is that the Father is the vine dresser. You see, Christ says it explicitly. The word here, It's a Greek word. No surprises there. It's actually the root word for the name of the state of Georgia, if you didn't know that. The root word here is the word that means a farmer, Georgos. It's the root of the name George, King George, George Washington. It means a farmer, one who works the earth. And so Christ says that my father is the vine dresser, This is a farmer or somebody who keeps the vine. Somebody who guards, protects, nurtures, cultivates the vine, sets up all the conditions for that vine to thrive and do what it was meant to do. The farmer is the one who protects the vine while it grows and develops. You know, this is is one of the key reasons why Christianity is different from all other religions. Christianity is different from every other religion that has ever appeared on the face of the earth. Why? Because our Lord, our teacher, did not defend himself. He came, preached the truth, and allowed himself to be crucified, always as Peter says in 1 Peter 2:23, committing himself to the one who judges righteously, committing himself to the care of his father. Christ, as a religious leader, did something no other religious leader could do. He died and rose again, because the vine dresser was caring for him. The vine dresser was cultivating him. As I mentioned, the farmer protects the vine in his sufferings. 1 Peter 2:23. Christ committed himself to the one who judges righteously. Also in the death of our Lord, Luke 23, what does Christ say when he dies? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He gave himself up to the one that protects him. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. In his resurrection, ascension, and in his glory, Christ committed himself to his father's care. Philippians 2, 9 Paul has just spoken about the death of the cross, and he says, Therefore, God has also highly exalted him. Notice, God the Father has exalted Christ. God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So when Christ says that I am the vine and the Father is the vine dresser, it's another way of saying he who has the Son has the Father also. But he who does not have the Son does not have the Father. They work together in the covenant of grace. Now just like your tomato plant, When God plants this vine in his garden, he expects it to bear fruit. Likewise, when we are grafted into Christ, who is the source of life, God the Father expects to find fruit in our lives. He's not content with merely outwardly being a part of the church, outwardly being a part of Christ. He expects us to bear fruit. But unlike the tomato plant, as we're going to learn later on in this passage, God doesn't need to uproot the vine anymore. God doesn't dig up the roots of Adam who failed in the covenant of works. God doesn't dig up the rotten vine of Israel, which was not able to bear fruit. God has planted the true vine. That's never going to be changed. What is changed is branches being brought in and broken off. Branches that bear fruit and that don't bear fruit. This is what the Father is doing now in the covenant of grace. Well, to conclude this, we're only looking at this very introductory verse for this chapter. It is the inner spiritual union with Christ that brings life. It is not outward uh, membership in the covenant of grace. By the way, I know there's a lot of debate about this. Notice what he says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. There is a sense in which you can be united to Christ according to the outward administration and yet not bear fruit and be broken off. Many cases, this can be the state of coveted children who are outwardly members of the covenant of grace, grafted through baptism, and then if they fail to produce fruit later on in life, they are cut off, and they're separated from Christ. So it's the inner spiritual union with Christ. It's believing in Christ and having the life of Christ in us that brings us life. There must be a vital living union with Christ, the substance. Well, what would this look like? I'll leave you with Galatians chapter 5 where Paul describes what it means to be united to Christ. Galatians five sixteen, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to the other. So that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the similarity of language. Every branch that does not bear fruit is cut off. Those who practice these things do not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Notice that these fruits are inner fruits. Their dispositions of the mind, their inner states of the soul. There's no way to outwardly show that you have peace. Peace is an inner state of the heart that then produces certain characteristics. Now, here's the encouragement Christ is the substance of your salvation, both for producing life but also for killing sin. Look at what Paul says next. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Brothers and sisters, if you are united to Christ by faith, your sins are not the substance of your life. Christ's death is the substance of your life. Those who belong to Christ have been crucified with Christ. And because I am crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why Paul continues and says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So what does it mean to have the inner substance of the covenant? Well, it means the same thing that it meant when you first became a Christian. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Keep believing in the Lord Jesus and he will save you through his life. Amen.